If you have your, if you have your Bibles, um, find your way to Genesis chapter 21. Man, I don't know, that was, that's kind of hard to stop singing, right? It's like, man, that was one of those times where I felt self-conscious because like, did I turn off my mic? Like, because you don't want any part of that. And so it was that, man, it's just, thanks, Aaron. It's just awesome. But it, it's such an amazing time when we realize that, that, that we get to be in the presence of the Lord, right? That we get to open His truth. We get to sing about His glory and His majesty and what He's done. And so... I pray that as a family here that we would never lose sight of that fact, that we would always be in awe of the presence of God in our midst. And so um, this, this summer we've been going through this series, looking at just the life of Abraham, trying to, to, to figure out what, what God has been doing throughout redemptive history, that, that, that we're somehow not a new part of his plan. That, and so it allows us to, to kind of orient ourselves in, in God's story and God's redemptive plan and, and see why Jesus is such an amazing person. When he comes on the scene, when the incarnate Son of God comes, what, what is that an amazing representation of? Because we can look back and see that he's the fulfillment of that covenant, that promise that God made so long ago. And so we can be confident of that. And, and, and we're doing that because in, in a few weeks, we've had two more weeks with Abraham and then we're, we're jumping into Paul's letter to the Romans. And, and we're going to spend about a year and a half in Romans, taking some pauses here and there. But just a time just to get in the depth of the beauty that is Paul's letter to the Romans. But, but we want to have a foundation of, of, our, of our covenantal heritage through being um, within Abraham's promise of God and then understanding who Christ is in that. And so basically today, kind of to kind of set our minds where we want to go, um, ask yourself that, and, and, and by the way, sorry, I always forgot, that, that we have an app that you can follow along. Um, today kind of fills one of those days that, that if you're trying to fill in the blanks, I might miss some. So um, just go if I do, because um, it, it's okay. You don't have to be bound by that. If you're that person that likes to fill in that and you feel incomplete, then ask me later and I'll help you fill it in. So, um, but, but we have that if you want to follow along. I know that's helpful to some. But, but while you're doing that and while we're looking at God's word and his truth today, ask yourself, do you, do you kind of feel stuck? Like, Do you feel stuck in, in maybe in, in your past mistakes that you can't move forward? That, that it's like there's, there's something always holding on. That, that you can't move forward, you, can't, you feel like there's no way to grow outside of that. that, that the, the past that, that you have had and, and who you've been kind of seems to always dominate who you are now. And, and when we look at this, we're kind of looking at, at failure to faith, kind of the part two, because last week we, we looked at Abraham's, um, basically how he again tried to give Sarah away. Like the, the, oh, she's my sister, and is that half-truth, kind of living in that, and then, and then how he pulled Sarah into his sin and, and pulled Abimelech into that as well. And, and so that was really his failure. And this is kind of, we see the faith part of that today. And so kind of see how he responds. But if Abraham had have, if, if he would have not been able to move forward, he would have never got to that point. Like he would have always been defined by his past failures, but that's not what we remember him as, right? We remember him as this person of faith because he kept moving forward. He kept, even when he would stumble and fall into sin, he, he found himself resting in who God was in his life. 
And, and that's been our prayer this summer. And so when we look at this, we, we realize that, that if we don't have a proper gospel understanding, we're not going to be able to move forward. And we see that today when we look at the fact that Abraham was able to move forward because of his restoration with God. And, and through some reproof and some speaking truth into his relationships, and then ultimately through his, his worship, his rejoicing. And, and we see that he understood who that was. He was able to move forward because of those things. And so that's where we're going to find ourselves today in Genesis 21. It, it might seem odd to you if you look at 21 because we have the birth of Isaac, but we're not going to start there. And I know that's kind of might be weird, like, oh, this is, um, finally we get the promised child. But we're going to go to the end of the chapter and then and work our way kind of back to the beginning. So if you will follow along, we're going to read verses 22 through 34 of Genesis 21. And so in Genesis 21, verse 22, Moses is writing, it says, At that time, Abimelech in Pichal, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well of water Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs will take, you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I have dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there, was, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at, at Beersheba and Abimelech and Pichal, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a, a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. If you will pray with me as we just ask the Spirit to just guide our time today in the word of truth. Father God, we just, we thank you that, that you've given us a truth that applies to our life even now. God, we thank you that your Spirit inspired Moses to write your truth down, God, that your, your, that, that your creation that was just created through your word, God, that you have written that same word down to us, that we know that it is active and it's living through your spirit and it has your power to change our lives. God, I just pray that today we would submit ourselves to your truth, not in how it would make us feel better, God, but how it would apply directly to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so the, the first thing that we kind of want to look at, if you look at, there's, there's several sections in there, and, it, and it's kind of odd, and there's some illusion, there's some looking back to Abraham's story. You might have noticed some similar aspects as you've been coming along with us. But what we see first is this, this restoration, this idea of Abraham's restoration. And really there's two, two relationships that we see restoration that have happened in the last part of Genesis 21. And the first one is with God. Right? If, we, if you remember back to last week in Genesis 20, Abraham's given away his wife, right? the, the one that's supposed to bear the son of the promise. He's given away now a second time, and, and God's coming in and saying, and so we can see that 
that everything that God does is up to him. Like he's the one upholding this covenant because Abraham continually worked his way out of that. But we see this confidence in that. But we understand that, that Abraham has been restored back to God. And we understand that when we look at verse 22 and what Abimelech says to Abraham and, and Pichal, the commander. If you look at the second half of that verse, it says, God is with you in all that you do. And so it's, it's apparent that God has been blessing Abraham. And we know that there had to have been a restoration because God doesn't bless those that are outside of him. Right? That's a, the, the blessing of God is, is based on the relationship, that restored relationship with him. And, and we can understand what's happening and that, that we see that God had shown favor to Abraham. And, and when we look at that, we realize because what's happened, right? We see that Isaac's been born. This, this promised child, right? His, his name, it, it means laughter, right? Son of laughter. And it, it's interesting, if you haven't ever noticed that, that, that there's some significance in that because remember, every time that God told them that was going to happen, their response was laughter. It wasn't always the right way. But all of a sudden, here's the, the sense, it's like God's laughing last, in a sense. Kind of like, yeah, I told you I was going to do it. You should have just trusted me. But we get some of that idea. So God has shown favor. He's done what he said. And, and we need to understand that when we have this restoration of a relationship with God, that, that then his blessings come out of that. Not that we get, do something to get it, but that's just an overflow of how he is. He's a good father. He blesses his children. That's where Warren Wiersbe says that, that whenever a believer is restored to the fellowship with the Lord, God can bless him once again. Because God can't participate in our sin because he's not part of that. And so when we're, we see this restoration in that and we see Abraham coming, that, that the restoration has happened and that God has been blessing him so much so that Abimelech and his commander want to make this treaty with him, right? They're, they're concerned with, wait a second, look at this guy. Right? Maybe there was some leftover you know, hearing of, of when Abraham had taken over Keterleomer and all these kings with him, that, that he's got some serious fighters, like, that, that we need to be understanding what's going to happen here because God has blessed him in that. And we, we just have to look at that idea that, that there had to have been this restoration with God. He had to have been walking, and there's been some time. And if you look at, look at what's happened, this is after Isaac has been weaned. And so if we look at culturally, that's somewhere three to five years after the birth. And so you don't, if you just read 21, you don't really get, if you, if you don't think about it, you don't get this time difference. But there's been some time that's passed since the birth. Culturally, they would, the, the, the mothers would nurse their child three to five years, depending on what source you look at, something like that. And so we know that there's been some time happening. That, that there's been some time that's passed, and so God has been blessing him through that. And we've seen that, and those around him have seen that. And so God has, he has restored his relationship with God. He's gone back. He's repented. He's turned back into that, and God's blessing him because of that. But we also see a restoration, and this really a- applies to, to us in our relationships today because we see a restoration of his relationship with Abimelech. Right? If you look at verse 20, or I mean chapter 20, excuse me, it, it, Abraham was pretty bad, right? He had said that Sarah was his sister and Abimelech had taken her into his house and God dealt with them harshly because of that. And, and so we see this restoration and, and what's amazing is that, that he was freed to pursue the re- restoration with Abimelech because of God's faithfulness. And so often we feel like that, that we just need to move forward. In fact, we need to be grounded in what's happened in our life through God so then that frees us then to seek restoration with other people and other relationships because we know what's happened. And look at verse, we look at the very first of this chapter, verse one, it says, the Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. 
And what we see in that is that God does exactly what he says when he says it. He's faithful in his promise. And when we understand that, when we look back to the life of Abraham, it frees us then to seek restoration. And that's what happened with Abraham. He was okay. He, was a, he was, had the ability to then seek that restoration, that relationship, to come into that because of what God had done. Right? And doesn't it free that? There's some security in, in, in knowing what's happened. Like if you know, I always talk to, to teachers that I have a friend that, that she's able to retire and she has freedom because what are they going to do? She can quit, right? She can retire. And there's, it's this amazing freedom that she has. And she does some things that I'm like, I don't know if I could ever do that. And she's like, well, when you can retire, you can do that because what are they going to do, right? And there's this freedom, but it's that security and being, and that's what God's faithfulness in doing what he said should free us to do. We should be able to speak into relationships and to seek restoration because we know that God is faithful to watch over us. God is faithful to protect us. God is faithful to uphold us and so that we can seek restoration. And Matthew Henry said that God's providences look best and brightest when they are compared with his word. And we observe how God in the all, in them all, acts as he said and as he has spoken. And so what we need to understand, what Matthew Henry is getting at, is that, that we don't know that God's been faithful if we're not constantly pursuing him and his word. Like if, we, if, we don't, if we're not devoted by a purposeful study of God's word, then we don't know that he's faithful because we don't know what he's done. Right? You can't just take something from someone else. You have to dive into his word. You have to know who he is to say he is faithful. He has done these things. This is what he's promised. And we see what's happened so then we can move forward in freedom. But if you're not in God's word, then his providences, as Matthew Henry said, doesn't look as good. They're not as bright because you don't know. And so we should constantly realize that we can pursue restoration because of God's faithfulness in our life. Because he is the constant. Because when we think about it, that people are inconsistent, right? We're, we're, we're inconsistent at best, right? We, we say things, we don't do them. We always, we're inconsistent, but God is not. That's what Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He tells him that, that if we're faithless, that he remains faithful. That he's, even when we're doubting, he's not going anywhere. He's faithful because he can't do anything that's outside of him. And so we have to allow this then to propel us into our lives and as we seek reconciliation. Right? And so ask yourself as you kind of see this restoration that's happened between God and Abraham and maybe that's where you need to be. Maybe you need to, to repent of some things and, and turn back to God and, and seek restoration on, and, and just go to him. And maybe there's people that you need to seek restoration with that you've brought them down because of your sin that you need to go there. That's not going to someone else and saying, hey, you did this to me, and so we need to know. It's you going to what you did. And so ask yourself, are you a person that seeks reconciliation and restoration? And there's so many different levels that we can see that needs to happen on. And the easiest one today that we see prevalent in in our culture is, is racial reconciliation, Right? Because we see that there's such a, a hard line that we see visible that's still there. And so we need to be ones that seek reconciliation. We need to seek to restore relationships. We need to seek to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. And so when you hear something, an easy check on this, and I had to, I had to deal with this a little myself, is that when you hear people talking about racial reconciliation and all that stuff, if your first 
if your first thought is negative because I didn't do that, then you're not seeing those people as God would. You're not, you're not working through that in a gospel mentality because you're saying, well, I'm not a part of that, so it doesn't matter. No, but we are empowered by the gospel because the gospel is a message of reconciliation and restoration. It should empower us to do the same. And so we shouldn't see all of these ideas where, where people are cast out. We shouldn't see those as, well, I wasn't physically, or I didn't participate in that. That's not how I am, and, and so it doesn't matter. But we should take up that cause because that's what God did for us, that, that we're the ones that sinned, yet he came to us. And so we should seek and champion diversity and restoration. And, and that filters into every relationship that we have. There's ways that we've caused people and ways that we've hurt people by our actions, whether we meant to or not, then we should seek restoration in that. And that's not, what happens in my mind then is, well then how do you, if you're not the only one, right? Like somehow there, there's a lot of times there's sin on both parts. And so how do you then move forward in those relationships? If we're going to seek reconciliation, seek to be people that restore relationships, well what about their part? Right? Isn't that what you get? Like, well, you, you feel, we, we want to have ours, right? right? We want to take care of ourselves. And like, oh, I can do that, but what about them? Right? And, we, and so we focus on them. And, and we see that in this. I'm going to talk about that. But if that's your, your case, like if that's the first way you go, then you need to speak the gospel to yourself again. Because we don't hold people to a different standard than we hold ourselves. Like, that if, if that's the way God went, if that's the way God treated us, then the life that we have isn't here. If he just said, well, what about them? Then we don't have life because we couldn't have done it. And so as we look at that restoration, we look at Abraham's restoration with Abimelech and we see what's happening, we see that he can go into that. He can seek reconciliation. He can enter into this covenant with him, but it's because he also has this idea of reproof. Like he, he kind of calls Abimelech out on that and you see that in the next few verses if you look at verse 25, it says, When Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Right? So there was a problem. There's something that had happened. If they're seeking peace, if, if Abimelech and his general or his commander are coming saying, Hey, treat us like you, we've treated you, well, clearly there was something wrong. And so Abraham tells him, He said, Hey, what about this well? Right? What, what about this well that your people have seized? Like, is that how you want me to treat you? You can see him saying that. Well, that's great and all, but what about this? Like, did you not know that this happened, right? It's, uh, it's almost like he was holding it back, like looking for the right time. Like, maybe this is, oh, let's insert it now. And so he says, well, he reproved He said, there's a well that I have dug. And what we need to see in that is that it's okay to pursue truth if it's based on the facts of the situation. Like, this is what's happened and the way he did it was, was, is, is interesting. Because he does it in a calm. He's not arrogant in that. He just says, hey, what about this well? And that's all he, he just brings it up. What about this? And so we need to, we need to understand that in this idea that, that, one, his concern was legitimate. Right? Because in, in chapter 26, if you read forward Isaac's here, we find in chapter 26 of Genesis that Isaac is redigging the wells that Abraham had dug because they had been filled up by the Philistines. So clearly there was an issue here, right? What he's saying is like, you've seized this well, clearly was a legitimate concern because six chapters from now, five chapters from now, his son Isaac's redigging those very wells. So he was right to be concerned about this, but he didn't do it 
in an arrogant way. And that's why I put the, the quote, if you're following along with Matthew Henry, it says that if a brother trespasses against us, we must with the meekness of wisdom tell him his fault. We need to understand that, that it's okay to pursue truth in our relationships, that, that you don't just let people go without that, but it's how you seek the truth that matters. It, it's your posture in your relationship that allows you then to do it either in a, a positive light or a negative one. Like what is your motivation for that truth? Is it to have truth and justice exposed? Or is it just to call them out and to somehow show that you're better? Because I mean, a lot of times we call people sent out to make us feel better, right? If I can just point out that, then I'm, we're looking at that, we're not looking at myself. And we, we kind of, we misdirect our own hearts by looking at other people instead of considering ourselves. And so you, you need to understand in that, and the way to do that is to find out where your hope is. Like, where is your hope in your relationship? Where is your hope in your identity? If it's in people, then you're going to have a problem. If it's in people, you're going to have a problem because the, the covenants, the relationships that, that we make with ourselves are eventually going to crumble, right? They're, they're eventually going to be broken because that's what happens, right? What is he, what's the whole point of this? In, in verse 23, says, now swear to, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants or my posterity. So it's saying this is supposed to be a lasting thing, but we realize when we look further in Genesis that it didn't last, right? Abraham dies. And just kind of talks about he died in an old age. It's a real simple death. And then all of a sudden we see Isaac digging the well. So did they deal with each other kindly? No. So what's the point here? It's because if we put our hope in people, those covenants are going to easily be broken because our selfishness and our sinful hearts are going to find their way in and we're going to try to take care of ourselves and that's going to lead to hurt on other people. But if we have our hope in God, we realize that his covenant's never going to, to be broken. It's never going to crack it's never going to fall away and so if we have our hope bound in Christ then we know that we can pursue this and it doesn't matter if people don't come all the way that we're secure in who we are that we can seek truth and when people don't respond well it's okay because we know that if our hope is in Christ then we're secure in that that if our hope is found in that, which is this message of who God is, then we see. Because the, the covenant that was made is the exact same, right? Abraham and Abimelech, the covenant they made was the same. Look at verse 27. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two made a covenant. If you go back to when God made the covenant with Abraham, they split the animals, the oxen, they split, and, they, and then it was the pot of fire they walked through, right? Well, this would have been the same thing but it would have been Abraham and Abimelech walking through. So they made a covenant. It's the exact same covenant that God made with Abraham as far as being ratified of that, but one doesn't last because one's built on the human effort. Even though the intentions were well, it's going to crumble. And so if we're, we're putting all of our identity and our security and our comfort in people, we're going to be disappointed. And that doesn't mean that you withdraw that's the first step, right? Well, if I can't trust people, then I'm just going to go in my house. I'm going to shut the doors. And then no one can hurt me if I don't ever talk to anyone. But we're not called that. We're called to be in a relationship. We're going to be outside. That's why we have to be able to speak the truth, seek reconciliation, restore those relationships out of a gospel motivation, realizing that when something messes up, we can fall back on the faithfulness of God. That we can have confidence moving forward. And so ask yourself, do you seek truth in your relationships? 
Like, do you, do you try to point stuff? Do you seek truth and justice to have it exposed in your relationships because that's what we're called to do? Or you just kind of smooth over the edges and, and overlook some things? So as Christians, we need to do this because our lives should match our words. We have a culture that's com- increasingly more and more post-Christian. I would argue that we've already lost the culture war and we need to start sh- adjusting our, our, our game plan because we're fighting a war that we've already lost and we need to adjust that. But our, the first way to start doing it is to have our lives match our words. Right? To, to live a life that, that is consistent with what we preach. It's consistent with the truth of God. It's consistent with the, the Orthodox Christian position over, that's what's amazing about the, the song, the, the I Believe song. You know, that's the Apostles' Creed. Right? We can stand on that. These are things that we believe in and so our lives should match those words. Do we believe that we have security in Jesus Christ the Lord? Do we believe that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do we believe that the Father is the creator of all? If so, then we can walk in confidence and our lives can match our words so we can seek truth in our relationships. But then what happens is sometimes you don't see it, right? Have you ever known someone like that that, that you, tell, you finally tell them, like, man, you always do this? And they're like, no, I don't. And you're like, yeah, you do, Right? If you're married, you're probably thinking of a spouse like, man, they always do this and they never think they do. It's just annoying, right? That's how we are. And, and sometimes, and right now you're probably giving each other the nudge thinking, yeah, you need to know. Well, you're, they're giving you one back, all right? So we, we all do the same thing. But what we need to understand in that is that we need people pointing out our errors, right? We, if we're not in a relationship, if you're not in a relationship with another Christian that's intimate enough to where they can call you out on an error, then you're not living a Christian life. If we can't speak, if you can't find someone, a brother and sister in Christ that can speak into your life and actually call out your error, then you're not living how you're called to live. And if you don't have that, then seek those relationships. That's the whole point. If you've been here for a while or if it's the first time you hear this, that, that we want to be people that are in relationships with others so that we can live the life that we're called to live in community because that's what people will see as different. And we don't call out their errors out of arrogance, it's a two-way relationship. If you're at a, that level where you can call it someone's errors or they can call it yours, then you should, it's a two-way thing. It's an, but it's an amazing, freeing relationship that allows you to be consistent. But if your first response is to always call it the other person, you need to do some work in your own heart. If when you hear stuff like that, that you automatically think of someone else that needs to be in that, then you need to turn that on yourself. Because we so easily walk outside that. We so easily think, oh, well, that's not me, that I've got some relationships. And a lot of times people are like, well, I've gotten a relationship like that. If, you're, if, if, if people are really honest with you, they'd say, but you're the one that always talks. You never let us talk. Like, you're the one that always wants to point it out, but you never let that, you never receive it. We have to seek the truth in our relationships. We have to live the lives that match our words, and we have to allow people and be in relationship good enough to where people can call out our errors and do so in a loving way. Because if we did that, people notice that. People notice that. That's why the church thrives in marginalization, because people still love others even though they're being marginalized. And the world doesn't know how to, they don't know what to do with that. That's why it's, that's why we're an amazing point in, in, our, in our countries because we get to stand up. We get to be non-nominal Christians, right? We get to say, this is absolutely what I believe in. And I'm gonna love you 
even if you don't believe, I'm going to seek you because that's what God did to me. That he sought me when a stranger, right? And then ultimately, we can learn from Abraham's rejoicing. And this is what I like. And I, I felt like this morning was kind of a, it almost like took the ending from me. Like our, our time, I don't know, just felt in, in worship this morning as far as with the song. It was just, I feel like it took the thunder of the last point that I had. So it's like nice planning there. Good job, man. But, but we see Abraham's rejoicing, right? And there's one thing that we can constantly go back to when we look at Abraham's life, when we look at over these chapters that we have, is that Abraham knew how to worship. He knew how to rejoice in who God was. Even though he screwed it up, and we've talked about that, he did it over and over, and it's like every time that he did something good, he like screwed it up, but he understood how to worship. And so we can learn from him. We can look at his life and we can understand how to rejoice in ours, how to worship in our lives. And the first way we can do that is to understand that he took time to worship. Right? So often, worship gets pushed to the bottom of our to-do list. And I'm not just meaning Sunday morning coming. I mean, do you worship in your life? Like, do you understand what God is doing throughout your week? And that's when we can understand that this gathering today, it's not a recharge it's an overflow. You don't, you don't come here to get recharged so you can face the world. You come here to overflow the amazing amount of grace and mercy that God's given you throughout the week. That's why you can build each other up. Because sometimes we have a bad week, but you can see people expressing that gratitude. Taking the time to worship is what Abraham always did. John Calvin explained it this way. He said, as it respects calling upon God, we know that Abraham, whenever wherever he went, never neglected this religious duty. It didn't matter where he was, where he went, he never neglected to spend time worshiping who God was. And do you? Do you worship? It doesn't have to be singing. We, we have a, a problem with, with that and think that worship's just singing. Do you, do you read the truth and are stuck with awe? Because God's given that to us. Do you, do you realize the magnitude of his grace in our life? And it leads you to this worship. Take time to do that. Take time because we all have time, right? We all have time that we waste. So why not instead of wasting our time, why wouldn't you apply that to understanding who God is and seeking him and take time to worship? Let's, let's follow Abraham's example. He worshiped. He always went back to that. And the other thing that we can learn from Abraham's worship is that he remembered who God is in his worship. We see another name here. Like he understood what was needing to happen, and he worshiped in that light. We see this really three times that we want to point out. One is that in, in chapter 14, he, he, he talks about God being El Elyon, right? El Elyon was the name that he used in his worship, and it's God Most High. Right? And so at that point, he's seeing God as you're the God most high. And so his worship is directed based on who God is. He remembered who God was. He's, and it's this, he's the most high God. And that, that puts your worship on a different level. It applies it in a way that might not normally be there. Again, we, we saw in chapter 17 where he, where he calls on God El Shaddai. Right? The sufficient, the almighty one. He's just sufficient to do these things. And so if you're needing comfort, worship the God that is sufficient to do those. Right? 
We can remember who God is, and at those times, it directs our worship. And then here, we have El Olam, which is the everlasting God. Verse 23, called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And so when you feel that God is inconsistent, if you feel alone, like that you're in this season where it's like, I don't feel his presence, realize that he's the everlasting God. That directs your worship, that directs your heart into a confidence in who he is because he's everlasting. This isn't something that happened then and now we're kind of on our own. No, he's the everlasting God. The one who was and is and is to come. He's everlasting. And Abraham, in all of his worship, taking time to worship, he always remembered who God was and he appropriately applied that to his worship. And so there's many other names of God. And so that's kind of what I want to charge you with today. As you, as, you, as you go this week, seek out those times in truth where another name is used of God and see what's happening there that those people are calling on that name. And then see if there's a way where your worship can then be applied by remembering who he is. We need to understand that he always took time to worship. And so ask yourself, who are you needing right now? Like, where are you at in your life? What are you seeking? What are you lacking? And then how can God be the one that actually sustains that? Because he is. There's, there's so much more about God than we think. And we need to understand that truth and, and learn from Abraham's rejoicing, learn from his worship that he always took time. And he always applied the, the exact part of God's character to that situation and remembered that. Like here, he needs... It needs to be something. So what's he do? He plants a tree, right? It's a remember. A lot of people say that he planted a grove of trees. It wasn't just one. Like he, he planted, a lot of people say that he planted a literal o- oasis here in the desert to remember that God is the everlasting God. And so he would go back to that. There's altars that we see. That's because that's what he did, right? He planted altars. He, he built altars. Here he planted a tree. It was always a remembrance of that. Here's who God was at this point in my life. And so we should be putting those up in our hearts. I was weak and God sustained me. He was sufficient in accomplishing what I needed, that that I was lacking an understanding of his power and I realized that he is the most high God. So we should learn from that and ask ourselves, what are we needing? And then seek out God. Take time to worship him. Find him in the truth that he's given us. Because that'll change your world. It'll, it'll change your world. You'll be that person that walks around smiling when you shouldn't be smiling. And you're like, why are you doing that? And no, because here's the God that I know. It's a real and it's saying. And so real fast as we wrap up, there's really two ways that this kind of brings the story back into the new. So we can see kind of how, who, who Jesus is with this. Because a lot of times we look at this and we're like, okay, that's great. But we need to see the, the, the fulfillment of that, right? If we, if we forget to look at Christ in this, that we forget to see that we understand that God did what he said he's going to do, right? That Isaac's born, well, we, ultimately we see Christ as come. And so two things that we need to see in that. And one is that we see that there's life through water. There's a, there's this, the whole thing about this is the well, right? We see this underlying theme of the well, this water. So for Abraham, for Abraham, that's literally a physical survival, right? If you didn't have water in the desert, life wasn't so good. 
right? And you actually see that if you look at the story of Ishmael and Hagar here that we didn't read in 21 because they ran out of water. And so she lays Ishmael down under a bush and then walks away so she doesn't hear him die. And then God provides for them, provides water. We see this life. And so here we have this life through water. Well, Abraham in this time, it's a physical survival, but we come into who Christ is and we see Christ at the woman at the well. In, in John 4, we see that, that Jesus reveals that there's spiritual survival through the living water. In John 4, 14, he says, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Right? And this is spiritual water. It's not just physical survival. There's so much more to that. And then Jesus continues, says, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. It's not just survival now. It's eternal life through the living water that we find in Christ. What an amazing promise that we have. And then we see this covenant perspective. If uh, We can't forget the ideas of the covenant. We see a covenant made here. And so we need to look at those real quick because we see that the covenant always required a sacrifice, right? There was a sacrifice. When it, this, the Abraham here, in, the, in our text today, it was the, the animals that they gave that they split. It doesn't say that they split them, but that's what would have happened making the covenant. But we see as we look forward to a new covenant that it was Christ that was sacrificed. It was Christ that was broken to make that new so it points us to God understanding what we needed and offering that for us. We also see that there was, a, there, there was always witnesses to it. Right? That's the, the ewe lambs. Abraham's saying this is what, this is a witness to that. But if we look forward in Hebrews 10, we see that, that the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. And so we see that, that we can't forget about the Spirit in our lives because He's the one that bears witness to us. Right? This is the Spirit inside us that knows that what God has done, He has done, and that He's going to continue to do. That the Holy Spirit bears witness that God has done what He said He was going to do. And so we can't forget that. We can't understand that. We need to seek the Spirit in our lives. And then ultimately there's a promise. For Abraham and Abimelech, it was peace. Right? Deal with me. Like, don't, don't come after me. God's blessed you. He's with you in everything that you do. So... Let's make this peace. But we see in the, the promise for us now is that, that it's held in God's word. That the word of the truth shows us what God has done and this promise that he's sent his son for us that if we believe in Christ, we'll have that everlasting life. And so we can't forget about the truth. We can't neglect to purposely seek God in Scripture. And I pray that we would be a people marked by others looking at us and saying, man, all y'all do is stand on truth. Absolutely. Like, that would be the best day of my life. If someone's like, man, all y'all do is hold up Scripture. Absolutely. That's what I want to do. Because that's God's promise to us. We see His truth. And that empowers us to live a life that we don't want to live. It allows us to pursue relationships that we wouldn't naturally pursue because we realize that in that, that we're secure. And so as we continue looking at this, we realize that, that we can be restored, that there's repentance, and we can turn, and we can go back, that we can speak truth into our relationship, that we can be okay in that because God's been faithful to us, and that all of that would be overshadowed by this rejoicing 
in who God is at every step of our life, that he is the sufficient one, he's the most high God, and that he's everlasting. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you that, and I thank you that you love us. God, I thank you that you sent us your son so that we might be restored to you, that our relationship would be possible with you, God, that through his death that our sins were paid for, that his righteousness was clothed on us, and that we couldn't make our own righteousness, yet you gave us your sons. God, I thank you for that restoration. God, I just pray that we would be people that seek reconciliation. God, that we would fight for people that can't fight, that we would seek justice where there's injustice. God, I pray that that we would be bold enough to speak your truth in our relationships, that we would point out errors and allow others to point out ours, God, so that we might live honest, open through you. God, and I just pray that everything that we do would be marked by worship and rejoice because of your son, Jesus Christ, and the gift that he is. It's in his name we pray. Amen.